Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. I'm Mark Levin. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. I'll tell you what. If you've been listening to this program, you've been on the cutting edge. And I'll tell you, it's an embarrassment. It's, it's really a damn shame that uh, even publications in my own industry, such as news talk editor Perry Simon at All Access, it's a radio trade publication, takes for ProPublica rights, which is funded by Soros and Steyer, among others, and I told you, goes through that that vile web of left-wing hacks and then regurgitates it. To have a trade publication not listen to this program, hundreds and hundreds of hours of this program, or not go back and listen to this program, shame on them. I'm owed an apology by News Talk editor Perry Simon. And his publication, All Access. What a disgrace. You should be ashamed of yourselves. Now, I was handed something today, and I want you to tell uh, Listen, on this show, we were the first to tell you the history of ventilators and why there aren't enough ventilators. We were the first to tell you about hospital beds and ICU beds and why there aren't enough. We were the first to suggest after the initial wave of this pandemic, that it would be smarter to start targeting resources, economic and medical and pharmaceutical resources to the people, the populations, once we were getting additional data, and the geographic communities that are suffering the worst. We were the first to tell you that the death rates that were out there had to be wrong. Because of the lack of tests. And we're going to be the first today to raise the flag about my concern on civil liberties now. Because this is getting out of control. And you can balance civil liberties with a crisis. You can balance spending with a crisis. You don't need to go towards socialism. You don't need to go towards iron-fisted police statism, you don't need to do those things. And the latter is mostly occurring in states. I got today a card with my picture on it. It's called an essential personnel card, Mr. Producer. An essential personnel card. And it came with a letter from the CISA the Cyber Infrastructure Integrated Operations Coordination Center, 
National Communications Coordination Branch, the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. I have a card. I'm an essential personnel. And I've been told to keep this card in my wallet and to keep this letter, I'll read some of it to you, in my glove compartment in case I am stopped. In case I am stopped. Now, most of you don't have the card in the letter, do you? In states and territories and districts where the governors or the mayors have ordered you to stay home. Have ordered you to stay home. The letter starts, to whom it may concern. The bearer of this letter is providing emergency communication sustainment and restoration support to critical communications infrastructure facilities in response to the COVID-19 declaration of national emergency. So basically, it's the federal government through Homeland Security telling states and localities that have these stay-at-home orders that I can pass. And it goes on. And I am able to carry this card. It is effective, and this letter is effective until May 28, 2020, at which time it is no longer effective. I'm no longer essential unless I get an extension. I don't even know where this came from. So the card is in my wallet and the letter is in my glove compartment. I have a pass, you see, if I'm stopped by authorities. I'm allowed to proceed. And a letter to back me up. Do you have a pass? Do you have a letter? Are you essential? Are you just a working stiff? Now I need to talk a little turkey with you. Okay? Put aside politics. Put aside the president, Congress. Put it all aside. We have a member of the House of Representatives. I don't know this man. I think I've met him once or twice. I don't always agree with him, that's for sure. And his name is Congressman Massey. And Congressman Massey, we are told, is to be hated. And demeaned. And attacked. And not just by the president. By the Republican leadership, by the Democrat leadership, by the media. You would think Congressman Massey was Xi Jinping the communist genocidal nut job that runs China and unleash this horrible virus on this country. But Xi, we're told, is really a good guy. Massey is the enemy. Now, what is it that Massey did that deserves all of this hate and anger focused at him? He wanted a roll call vote in the House of Representatives, so members of the House have to vote up or down, and their constituents, you, know how they vote on this $2.2 trillion, and they all say it, the Democrats, Republicans, presidents, members of Congress, biggest spending bill in the history of mankind. He says, you can't just do a voice vote on that. That's not what the rules require. And Congress is supposed to meet. There needs to be a quorum, and then we vote and do the... We're in a hurry now. Nancy Pelosi killed the original Senate bill for a week. McConnell and Schumer are negotiating for a week. The lobbyists are there making sure they, the, the industries and the 
and the museums and the states they represent get their quote-unquote fair share. Still not enough. I warned you about this. The gate to the Treasury Department is open. It's flown open. And Massey wanted a vote. Would have taken one extra day. Now, why would it have taken one extra day? Do you know why, Mr. Producer? Because Nancy Pelosi had sent all the members home. Even though she knew there would have to be a vote at some point. You see, folks? They said they sent them home because of health issues. They don't want them to get this virus. They sent them home because of health issues? Now, folks, 85 to 90% of the country is still working. Many people are working from home, but you may, you may want to check out your local grocery store or supermarket. There's people in there. There's pharmacists, there's assistants, there's people putting stuff on shelves, there's people hand- handling registers, there's managers. We got truck drivers crisscrossing the country day in and night working 20 hours a day. We have people who are actually physically showing up for work. Perhaps you're familiar with police officers and firefighters and doctors and nurses, emergency personnel. Perhaps you're familiar with people in the branches of the various branches of the United States military. But Congress has suffered nothing. No cuts in their salaries, no cuts in their pensions, no cuts in their health care. They get paid no matter what. In fact, they're getting increases. It's just too much to ask them to come back to Washington. Why they were dismissed, I don't know. To vote. The Senate voted. They stayed. And so now we're supposed to hate Congressman Massey and defeat him in a primary because he stood up as the only member of Congress, of the entire Congress, and said, we have to vote. Not a voice vote, a roll call vote. Say, I don't know this man. But he was right. I know the administration's in a hurry. I know Congress is in a hurry. But everything slows down when the left wants to fund Planned Parenthood. Everything slows down when they want to fund the Kennedy Center. But when the man says, under the Constitution, look at this, this is a massive spending bill, we have to vote. You can't just go eyes and nays, and then these members go home, and if they're pressed, they go, well, I didn't vote for it. Well, I did vote for it. They're not recorded. So a representative republic can't work this way. Do we have to burn down every single institution in order to fight this virus? No, we don't. I am worried. The president's right. We'll get through it. I am worried what we get through and what we look like after we get through it. Announcement today by the administration. They are ordering General Motors to produce ventilators because the negotiations went south. I don't know what that means. We have this Peter Navarro who gets up and he's newly appointed now the National Defense Production Act coordinator. Wow, that's an awfully powerful position for an appointed individual. The National Defense Production Act Coordinator? Can you imagine being a private company and this guy walks in the room and you know he can pull the trigger or have the president pull the trigger and all of a sudden your company has to produce what you're told to produce even though you're not, 
You're not set up to produce it. We don't get to hear GM's side of this. All we hear now today is they're an unpatriotic company. All of a sudden, GM was a patriotic company. GM said, hey, we'll work on these ventilators. They're negotiating with the government. And they said, well, they want top dollar, and now we'll only produce 6,000. Is that what happened? I'll bet the head of GM is scared to death to even say what happened. Now, I know the left and the Democrats and the media have been pushing for this kind of government. I am deeply concerned about it. Deeply concerned about it. And it is amazing that the people who made bad decisions in the past are never held to account. Cuomo made horrific decisions when it came to ventilators and beds. Many states did. I am deeply troubled by what's going on. Stay-at-home orders by governors. We have governors who've done across the North Carolina, the whole state. New Jersey, excuse me, New York, the whole state. Illinois, the whole state. California, the whole state. You'll stay at home. You can't even go to church or synagogue or your mosque. Some of them were shutting down gun shops. What the hell for? What do you think the founding fathers would say about all this? Here's the deal. People are scared. They're wearing masks. I go to my local bagel shop today. Everyone's standing outside, six feet apart. Got it? People are scared to death. A friend of mine owns a restaurant in Florida says, I don't want to catch this. I don't want to catch this. Nobody wants to catch this. Many, many Americans will catch it, and the vast majority won't even know it, or will be able to recover from it. We know this, as a matter of fact. People are scared, and liberties are dissolved. There are things the government can do, there's things the government should do. And there's things the government does not have the power to do that it is doing. Do these governors have the power to tell every single citizen except those who carry a card like me now and a letter like me that they must stay in their houses unless they're buying food or it's an emergency? Where did that power come from? I'm just curious. And trust me, I don't, I don't trust the courts to do the right thing. We know and Past experience, World War II in particular, they were perfectly fine, 9-0, to zero, rounding up Japanese and Americans and Americans of Japanese descent. They were perfectly fine if the Roosevelt tried to stuff the court with ideologues, rubber stamping his agenda. So where do we turn? I've got my card. You have a card, Mr. Producer? You have a letter, too? So you have a letter. Very good. All you folks have letters and cards? No, you don't. Here's what I do know. And depending on who's listening to this program, here's what I do know. 
Federal bureaucrats aren't being laid off. School systems, you don't see massive layoff of teachers or principals or administrators. I guess what I'm trying to say is government employees are doing pretty well. They're doing okay. Not all, but a lot. I want to continue to address this, and I'm very, very interested in what you have to say about it, and I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. I've been talking a lot about the four pillars or purposes of the Hillsdale College mission. Learning, character, faith, and freedom. We focus quite a bit on the first pillar of learning. But what about character? Learning the right things to the point where you truly know them is a rigorous business. It isn't possible without strong character. Hillsdale's great president, Larry Arn, and his outstanding faculty at Hillsdale know that intellectual virtue is meaningless without moral virtue. That having knowledge doesn't mean much if you don't use what you know to serve the good, however possible. And here's an outstanding fact. Every entering freshman at Hillsdale signs an honor code that reads as follows. A Hillsdale College student is honorable in conduct, honest in word and deed, dutiful in study and service, and respectful of the rights of others. Through education, the student rises to self-government. Now, to learn more, visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com, levinforhillsdale.com. So New Jersey has been uh, shut down, and I'm sure there's other states that I'm unfamiliar with that have been shut down, too. Stay-at-home orders statewide. Only those who get these passes that are handed out by Homeland Security, I guess, with a letter, are essential. I'll tell you my immediate reaction. I'll be perfectly honest to you. Today, when I was handed this card in this letter, you know what I said, Mr. Producer? I'll put it in language that won't get me fired. I said, what the hell is this, East Germany? You're giving me a letter, and, you, and, you, and you're giving me a card? Honest to God. Well, thank you. I'm supposed to thank them that I have a GD card in my wallet and a letter in my glove compartment so if somebody stops me and says, what the hell are you doing on the road? I can say, wait a minute, I got my papers. I've got, I've got my papers right here. I've got my card right in my wallet right here. Look, look. Okay, you can pass through. You better wake up to some of this, folks. I understand that these are difficult times. I really do. But in the hands of some people, this is dangerous stuff. I'll be right back. I've been talking a lot about the four pillars or purposes of the Hillsdale College mission. Learning, character, faith, and freedom. We focus quite a bit on the first pillar of learning, but what about character? Learning the right things to the point where you truly know them is a rigorous business. It isn't possible without strong character. Hillsdale's great president, Larry Arn, and his outstanding faculty at Hillsdale know that intellectual virtue is meaningless without moral virtue, that having knowledge doesn't mean much if you don't use what you know to serve the good, however possible. And here's an outstanding fact. Every entering freshman at Hillsdale signs an honor code that reads as follows. A Hillsdale College student is honorable in conduct, honest in word and deed, 
dutiful in study and service, and respectful of the rights of others. Through education, the student rises to self-government. Now, to learn more, visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com, levinforhillsdale.com. Speaking to the four of the five Americans who are literate at 877-381-3811. Here's what this fella Thomas Massey, this congressman from Kentucky, posted. And he was very, very uh, heavily hit today from all sides in Washington, D.C., all sides, because he wanted a roll call vote, which apparently was unconscionable. It might delay for a day the $2.2 trillion bill passing it. No, actually, Nancy Pelosi delayed for a week, and I don't even support at least half this bill. At least half this bill will do nothing. He says, I swore an oath to uphold the Constitution, and I take that oath seriously. In a few minutes, I will request a vote on the CARES Act, which means members of Congress will vote by pushing yes or no or present. The Constitution requires that a quorum of members be present to conduct business in the House. Right now, millions of essential working-class Americans are still required to go to work during this pandemic, such as manufacturing line workers and healthcare professionals. By the way, who the hell do you think is going to build those ventilators at GM? People. Robots, Mark. People running robots and people. Lots of people. I work in those assembly lines for the masks, for the ventilators, for the respirators, for the gowns, for the pharmaceuticals. Think they just show up at the store? Think the federal government just has stuff to ship? He's right. Is it too much to ask Congress to vote? And why the hell did Nancy Pelosi send them home in the first place? The pandemic, she says. Well, then GM ought to shut the hell down, right? Based on that logic, say we're not producing anything. What are you going to do? Take it over and have the army run it? What next? Anyway, right now, millions of essential working class Americans, he said, are still required to go to work during this pandemic, such as manufacturing line workers, healthcare professionals, pilots, grocery clerks, cooks and chefs, delivery drivers, auto mechanics, janitors, to name just a few. Is it too much to ask the House to do its job just like the Senate did the day before? I'm not denying, the, uh, excuse me, I'm not delaying, he writes, the bill like Nancy Pelosi did last week. The bill that was worked on in the Senate late last week was much better before Speaker Pelosi showed up to destroy it and add days and days to the process. This bill should have been voted on much sooner in both the Senate and the House. And it shouldn't be stuffed full of Nancy Pelosi's pork, including $25 million for the Kennedy Center, grants for the National Endowment for the hum- <coughs> excuse me, Humanities and Arts, and millions more. Other measures that have no direct relations to the coronavirus pandemic. That $25 million, for example, should go directly to purchasing test kits. So this guy's not irrational. They try to paint him like a nut. The number one priority of this bill should have been to expand testing availability and creation of tests so that every American, not just the wealthy and privileged, and by the way, not just sports figures, have access to testing. We've shut down the world's economy without adequate data. Everyone, 
even those with no symptoms, needs immediate access to the test. He is saying, just like South Korea did, uh, just like uh, these, these, these brilliant men at Stanford and Yale, experts, experts, not backbencher kooks, have said, test everybody. Then we'll know exactly what we're dealing with here, and then you'll see what an infinitesimal small percentage are dying from this. Every human being matters. Those of us who are pro-life will point that out over and over again. We don't think life is a choice. But we need to deal with the data. He said the bill creates even more secrecy around a Federal Reserve that still refuses to be audited. It allows the Federal Reserve to make decisions about who gets what, how much money will print, with no transparency. If getting us into $6 trillion more dollars in debt doesn't matter, then why are we not giving getting $350 trillion more in debt? Or, or why aren't we giving out $1 million checks to every person in the country? I said this yesterday, as a matter of fact. And he's right. This stimulus should go straight to the people rather than being funneled through banks and corporations like this bill is doing. $2 trillion divided by 150 million American workers is about $13,333 per person. That's much more than $1,200 per person check authorized by this bill. So he should be excommunicated, Mr. Producer? And they voted 96 to 0 in the Senate. Isn't that shocking? Here's what's bothering me even more. Even if you're going to vote for this, can't you say I voted for this, but I'm not voting for something like this again, or I voted for this even though half of it is pork? They don't even say that. They're celebrating the fact that it's the biggest, biggest spending bill in human history. And in the House of Representatives, ladies and gentlemen, your representatives, you have no idea how they voted. They'll tell you how they voted, but it's not a recorded vote. Is that what your Constitution says? Is that why we have representative government? This thing is negotiated by a relative handful, almost a Politburo type, in the Senate. Pelosi says she's going to support it, only because she says there's going to be a fourth and a fifth iteration of this thing. She rounds up her troops to vote for it. I guarantee you almost none of them have read it. It's whose team are you on, what the media says, 96 to 0, you can't be the one against it. So this guy has the guts. He's not Don Quixote. He's just looking at the Constitution. He's looking at you, and he says, hey, let's have a vote. No. No, we can't have a vote. Oh, no, this one jerk's holding up everything. I have no idea how my Congress idiot voted. She's a left-wing kook, a freshman. Maybe she'll announce that she voted yes. I don't know. But that's not a recorded roll call vote, which is what's compelled when you're talking about the biggest spending bill in human history that's going to affect each and every one of you, even if you're one of the few who's not getting a check or some kind of subsidy. Your children and grandchildren are paying for this. This is not free. The money is not Free. It's not backed by a damn thing. Oh, by the good faith and credit of the federal government. Oh, very cool. Your children and grandchildren and generations yet born, they're on the hook for this. You understand? And you don't know what's in it, 
and you don't know how your member of the House voted. That's the guy's point. And he's right. And I'm no radical libertarian, as you well know. I'm a constitutionalist. It's unbelievable. I mean, look, look at this. Look at the, in Maryland. You got this uh, rhino governor. He's even worse than that. Got this rhino governor. Uh, and uh, among those who are essential service employees in Maryland, according to Governor Hogan and the Comptroller, Peter Francho, or whatever the hell his name is, uh, are the uh, tax preparers in Maryland. Tax preparers. Tax preparation services are considered essential services and may remain open for business during the state's coronavirus emergency response. See, if you work for the state or you have some crucial role that the state needs, you're essential. If you're working stiff, you're not. You're not. The, uh, boy, I've got so much to discuss with you. It's not even funny. Here's the order. Here's, the, here's how the Washington Compa, by the way, and I'm not, I tell you over and over again, I'm not one who wants to sabotage the president or sabotage the fight against all this. I'm raising issues. Because I don't know if anybody else is raising these issues in the administration or not, so I'm raising them. And we were the first here to bring up the ventilator. I don't mean just say, hey, we don't have enough ventilators to actually look into this matter. And the hospital beds and ICU beds. Dug deeply. You were here. You were with me. The death rates, which I always questioned because it never made any sense. We didn't have much testing at all early on. How do you know the death rates when you don't know who has the virus? We still don't know who has the virus. With these outrageous newsrooms putting those charts endlessly, all of them, up on the screens about confirmed cases of the virus and deaths. And I'm not going to go over this again and again and again week two. But how many cases of the virus are there? We don't know. And are all these deaths directly related to the virus? Maybe somebody had a bad heart or something. We don't know. So why do they keep pushing this stuff? Because the CDC does and the WHO does and this hospital does and that hospital. And they have maps and charts like it's election night. They have numbers like, you're, like it's some kind of a soccer game. We take this extremely seriously, but all of it seriously. The health, the medical issues, the life and death issues, the economic issues. I posted something today, and I've said this to you many, many times, right, behind this microphone. If we have an economic collapse, there is no health care. There are no assembly lines to order around to make ventilators. You think the system's overloaded now? There will be no system. The currency will be worth nothing. Of course people won't be showing up for work. They'll be foraging for food. The civil society becomes the jungle. I've written about this. Others have written about this. When the rule of law is no longer the rule of law. And this day is going to come. Most of us will be dead and gone a long time. But the question is, whose head is this going to fall on? Your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, or three generations from now? You can't spend like this. 
You can't print like this without consequence, and they're not done. The Democrats have warned us they're not done. Washington Compost, lousy crap newspaper. President Trump compelled General Motors to manufacture ventilators to help handle the surge of patients using his power under the Defense Production Act. He will be praised for this in the lib media. On the morning schmo and Mika schmo and all the rest of them. Yes! Yes! We accused him of being a dictator. We need him to do these things. Quote, our negotiations with GM regarding its ability to supply ventilators have been productive, but our fight against the virus is too urgent to allow the give and take of the contracting process to continue to run its normal course. GM was wasting time. Today's action will help ensure the quick production of ventilators that will save American lives. This guy, Peter Navarro, who's your new National Defense Production Act coordinator, I thought you'd want to know. And he's really qualified. He's a Ph.D. from Harvard, so there you go. Uh, I'm sure he urged the president to do this when he was at the press conference today. That was more than obvious. You give us what we want at the price we want, and when we say we want it, or we'll force you to do it. What kind of negotiation is that? And GM, you don't hear from GM. They're shaking in their boots when a government has that kind of power. And the only reason they have to do this is because states like New York, when they had a chance to make more or order more ventilators, chose to do other things with their money. As usual with this, General Motors, things just never seem to work out, Trump tweeted. They said they were going to give us 40,000 much-needed ventilators very quickly. Now they're saying we'll only be 6,000 in late April, and they want top dollar. Always a mess with Mary B., he added, referring to Mary Barra, the company's chief executive. Invoke P., Trump said in the tweet. In a subsequent tweet, he explained that Invoke P. means the Defense Production Act. And he tweeted, General Motors must immediately open their stupidly abandoned Lordstown plant in Ohio or some other plant and start making ventilators now, all in caps. Ford, get going on ventilators fast. So now Ford's being threatened. I thought these were patriotic companies yesterday, Mr. Producer. You know how difficult it is to change an assembly line from automobiles to ventilators? And ventilators are a very complex device. And to get parts, and to make parts, and the enormous expense, it's like turning around an aircraft carrier. It's not so simple. But now... Ah, uh, whatever. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. I've been talking a lot about the four pillars or purposes of the Hillsdale College mission. Learning, character, faith, and freedom. We focus quite a bit on the first pillar of learning. But what about character? Learning the right things to the point where you truly know them is a rigorous business. It isn't possible without strong character. Hillsdale's great president, Larry Arn, and his outstanding faculty at Hillsdale know that intellectual virtue is meaningless without moral virtue. 
that having knowledge doesn't mean much if you don't use what you know to serve the good, however possible. And here's an outstanding fact. Every entering freshman at Hillsdale signs an honor code that reads as follows. A Hillsdale College student is honorable in conduct, honest in word and deed, dutiful in study and service, and respectful of the rights of others. Through education, the student rises to self-government. Now, to learn more, visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com, levinforhillsdale.com. Well, I think what I just heard was that, yes, there will be a fourth massive spending bill, this time potentially to bail out states. To bail out states. A fourth bill to bail out states. Now, a lot of the money in the current bill bails out states. But states want to be bailed out. They don't want to run their own bonds. They want to raise their own taxes. They They want to be bailed out. So I think we can now agree, not that we like it, but we can now agree that the federal government is in fact a massive, massive bank for business, for employees, for states. Period. Period. The country has changed before your eyes. Not just today and not just the last two months. This is just the next, the next step, the next phase. It will never be the same in many respects. In many respects. But I have my card and I have my letter, Mr. Producer. I can travel the country freely. Do you have your papers? Yes, as a matter of fact, I have a paper and I have a pass here. You can proceed. Oh, thank you. I, I appreciate that. You're not a tax preparer, are you? Actually, I am. Okay. You can proceed. Oh, thank you. I'm glad to hear that. Thank you. You know, there was a great piece in the Wall Street Journal by the brilliant Kimberly Strassel. And I want to refer you to it after the, after the uh, top of the hour. We're only about 40 seconds left here. And I want to go through some other things, not just what we've been talking about, some other things too. Uh, so you have uh, additional information. Uh, people talking about the new conservatism. All kinds of things going on out there. And I want to alert you to them. I'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, A couple days, well, actually yesterday, I guess. What the hell is today's date? I don't remember anymore. 
27th, yesterday, the brilliant Kimberly Strassel at Wall Street Journal, Big Government Contagion. The Senate did something good Wednesday night, she said, passing a bill to inject liquidity into a virus-ravaged economy. It also did something dangerous, requiring the public to be on guard. Members of Congress are pointing out the many parts of society aided by the Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security Act, styled the CARES Act, checks for American families, some $377 billion for small business, help for air carriers and other industries, money for hospitals. Missing from their list is an important category which underlines an inescapable fact. Government mostly cares for government. Bills that hand out money are written by appropriators, and appropriators never miss an opportunity to expand departments, agencies, bureaus, and commissions. A rough calculation suggests the single biggest recipient of dollars, that is tax dollars to this legislation, far in excess of $600 billion, is the government. And the president just spoke of a possible additional massive spending bill for the government, states. The line now between the federal government and the states is really non-existent. Who's responsible for what? It's the virus, the virus. Ladies and gentlemen, with all due respect, we've had civil wars, we've had world wars, we've had pandemics, 1917, 18, we've had, they're all horrific. The time to stand up for the Constitution is now. Again, I am not opposed to extraordinary temporary acts, but massive profligate spending is something we can't fix once it's done. And it's becoming commonplace in Democrat and Republican governments. They don't even tap the brakes. A rough calculation, far in excess of $600 billion. That's 25% of the so-called spending bill. Some of this money is required. Washington and the states are devoting significant resources to the virus response. And the bill earmarks funds for many specific and warranted purposes. A great deal of the cash is going to frontline agencies, the CDC, the FDA. The bill sends money to the Bureau of Prisons to help control the virus spread among inmates, to the IRS for an extended tax filing season, to the TSA for cleaning and sanitization at checkpoints, where the amount's a bit excessive, no doubt, but let's not quibble. More concerning is the extent to which Democrats use the bill to tighten every fire of the social, fiber rather, of the social safety net. Put aside the $260 billion for unemployment benefits, potentially necessary in light of record jobless claims, the bill throws $25 billion more at food stamps and child nutrition, $12 billion more for housing, $3.5 billion to states for child care, $32 billion for education. Now, why would that be when there's very little of that going on right now? $900 million at low-income heating assistance, $50 million at legal services for the poor, and so on and so forth. This is a massive expansion of the welfare state, seemingly with no regard to the actual length of this crisis, she writes. There's also the money appropriators threw at government for no purpose other than throwing. Every outpost gets dollars, most for nothing more than the general command, quote, to prevent, prepare for, and respond to the coronavirus, unquote. NASA gets $60 million. Has the virus infected the sun's corona? 
The National Archives gets $8 million. Will it put the virus on display? Many departments get cash for research, regardless of the relevance to today's medical crisis. Perhaps the Energy Department will use its additional $99 million in science to gauge how the virus responds to a nuclear reactor. Then there's the outright pork. The Forest Service gets $3 million for, quote, forest and rangeland research, $27 million for capital improvement and maintenance, $7 million for wildfire management. The bill shovels $75 million. And keep in mind, this is an addition to a $4.5 trillion budget. This is additional. The bill shovels $75 million to the National Foundation in the Arts and the Humanities, $25 million to the Kennedy Center, and an odd $78,000 to the Institute of American Indian and Alaskan Native Culture and Art Development. A water project in central Utah gets half a million. Appropriators can sneak a lot into 880 pages. The bill sends $150 billion, listen to this, because the president just talked about another bill for states. The bill sends $150 billion to state governments on top of the dollars for unemployment, health care, and education that the states get. Some of this money will be used to backstop local governments struggling with virus response and with the economic consequences of the shutdown. But for all the Democratic demands of oversight on the bill's business loans, the state dollars have no real strings attached. Should a locality choose to use its dollars to create new nonsensical business regulations... Well, so be it. And Republicans waved much of this through, viewing it as the Democratic price for urgently needed business liquidity. But they should understand, the left has every intention of making these spending levels the new normal. Long after this virus has passed, long after the economy is recovering, Democrats will cry foul at any cut. And should they win the presidency or the Senate this fall, the chances of rolling back any of this... Very unlikely. So a $4.5 trillion budget will quickly become a 6 to $7 trillion budget. The bill's real failure is that it makes no distinctions between temporary and permanent expansion of government. The state has a role in short-term crises, and lawmakers have an obligation to allocate the resources to respond. But Democrats successfully exploited the crisis to expand the power of government overall. Perhaps for the long term, that's especially perverse, given it was government that imposed the restrictions that shut down the economy, necessitating this rescue, this rescue bill in the first place. The Trump administration and GOP lawmakers should have been making this distinction all along, and they'd be wise to start reassuring voters immediately of their intent to rationalize the system once the urgent moment passes. Coronavirus has done enough damage. We don't need it to also become the excuse for a permanent government power grab. Have you heard anybody in the media, in the administration, leadership, Republicans in Congress say that? I mean, other than here, seriously. Have you? What's going on is, 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 is worrisome to me. Because now everybody's talking. The ju- president just signed this bill today. And Pelosi, McConnell, and now at this press conference, the president is talking about another bill for the states. You know, the states need money, folks. Everybody needs money. The economy's not always floating along. Is this the first time we've had a recession and a bad recession? No. 
Whatever the cause, a virus, the economic system, a war. Why do we why do we swing towards socialism? They're bragging in the administration about we're going to have an equity position with the airlines. The government should have nothing to do with owning airlines. Well, you know, Mark, they did get TARP funds. I don't care. The government can't run the government. The states didn't have enough ventilators and beds. Let's give them the planes now. Let's give them the... the well, let me ask you this. If that's the logic, then every small, medium, and large business that gets a loan now from the federal government, should we own a percentage of them? Is that where, we're go- is that where we should go with this? These states make decisions, particularly these Democrat governors. They make these decisions. They make their priorities. What, what kind of uh, consequences there when you and I are going to make up the difference all the time? And I'm not even talking about health care or lives or this virus. What kind of consequence is it when the federal government steps in? All right, all right, we'll, we'll fill the gap. Flatten the curve, fill the gap, whatever. You know, some of you don't like what I'm saying, but one day you'll understand when it's too late. You see, I could sit here quietly. I could, I could be a rockette and dance across the stage. Not very easily, of course. I could be a pom-pom boy and a pom-pom girl for what the government's doing. I could say, hey, I've got my letter from the Department of Homeland Security. I remember the day when there wasn't a Department of Homeland Security. I've got my picture. I've got my ID. I've got my, I've got my papers right here and my card. And I could just silently know that the vast majority of you don't. But that's not good enough for me. That's not good enough for me. And I want somebody to explain to me, to call this program, Mr. Producer, leave a line open. I want you to explain to me how Xi Jinping is our friend and how Tom Massey is the enemy. I want you to explain this to me. I want you to explain to me how this slob, Xi Jinping, this genocidal maniac who's preparing for war against our country, who has stolen our technology, stolen our jobs, that covered up this pandemic, which unleashed it on the world and particularly our country, Many of you are suffering from it. Some of you, your family members have died from it. Some of you are unemployed as a result of it. How he's a good guy. But Tom Massey's enemy number one. I want you to explain that to me. And how Nancy Pelosi can hold this damn stuff up for a week and this guy wants a vote so you, the people, can know how your representatives vote. She sends the members home. That's on her. He wants a vote just like they had in the Senate. And he's supposed to be tarred and feathered. I'm not buying it. I'll be right back. Lovin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. 
It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. You know, this bill hands out money to people who are getting paid and not working. Wouldn't it have been better, ladies and gentlemen, if there was extra money for police officers and firefighters and emergency personnel? Wouldn't it have been better if there was extra money for doctors and nurses and other people who work at hospitals and medical facilities? Wouldn't it be better if there was a little extra money For the people who work at supermarkets and grocery stores and make sure we have the food. How about truckers, UPS, FedEx, Uber, taxi? How about all these people, all the delivery people? Wouldn't that be better? I drove through a fast food place today. Young people working. Wouldn't it be better if they got more money? The answer is yes. These are the people who are making the country work. The men and women on the assembly lines who are producing the masks and the ventilators and the respirators and everything else that goes, shouldn't they be the ones who are getting a little extra money? Does everybody have to get money? Except many of you, I guess. But is is that the way this is supposed to work? Tell me, who's more compassionate? Me saying what I'm saying or Congress doing what it's doing? $25 million for the Kennedy Center. Wouldn't it have been better if we had $25 million for the cops in New York City who are having to do their job, the ambulance uh, uh, drivers in New York City and all those folks? Wouldn't that be a little better spent, the $25 million for that? I want you to listen to this woman. Her name is Rita Ranahi, and she works at Sky News in Australia. I've played her before. This is one smart lady. How many minutes do I have? I don't know if I have enough time for this. Mr. Producer's calculating. Yeah, I don't have enough. After the bottom of the hour. China now, you see, is off the hook. I don't know how this happened. They're giving us data. Now they're working with us. I'd say a little late, wouldn't you, ladies and gentlemen? I'd say a lot late. Oh, but now they're going to give us data and information. Uh, Thank you, Chairman Xi. What a good guy Chairman G is. Now, Tom Massey, that guy needs to be defeated, right? G, good, Massey, bad. Excuse me, not in Mark's world. Not in Mark's world. But there's another, another bill coming, ladies and gentlemen. And if anybody opposes it, it's been made abundantly clear. Democrat, Republican, Congress, administrator, you're going to be crushed. You're going to be destroyed. Any private company that dares to not buckle to Peter Navarro's demands and the demands of others, you're going to be at least temporarily nationalized. Because we have the Defense Production Act, which, again, was passed. It was called the Stafford Act. It was passed because of the Korean War. But now we have it. 
Now, GM, you're going to make these ventilators. You're going to make them the way we say. You're going to make them as fast as we say. You're going to make them at the price we say. Because we're trying to save the country. And GM apparently is not a patriotic company anymore. Unpatriotic. Oh, boy, I'll tell you. Meanwhile, the governor of New York is being celebrated. We've never seen a man like this. What a leader. What a great man. He just shows up. He's giving out orders. I got one right here. The lady called yesterday, the doctor who manages a nursing home. State uh, urgent need to expand hospital capacity. Doctor's group says decision represents clear and present danger. Yeah, and he said it today. These nursing homes, you know, you know who's in nursing homes, Mr. Producer? Old people. You know who's most vulnerable to death under this virus? Old people. And you know what the governor's ordered? What, Mark? That nursing homes, private nursing homes, will take patients from hospitals, even if they are contagious, even if they are infected by the China virus. And I notice we're not calling it the China virus anymore, Mr. Producer. That changed, too. Yesterday it was the China virus. Today it's just the coronavirus that's ravaging large parts of America. Interesting. But don't worry. Mr. Abortion on Demand, Mr. We Don't Need Any More Ventilators, Mr. We Don't Need Any More Hospital Beds, Governor Cuomo, now we're going to use our nursing homes because we have nowhere else to put these people, he says. Folks, who was in charge of building hospitals in that state? He was. Hospital beds, he was. Ventilators, he was. He was. Now, again, I'll say over and over again, and I have, and you can listen to my prior broadcast, nobody can really prepare and resource full-time for a pandemic, but some can do better than others. Some can do better than others. And you know what New York's been doing with hospital beds from Republican governors right up through Cuomo? Slashing the number of hospital beds you have. Slashing them. I know it's true. It's right there in the New York Post. New York has thrown away 20,000 hospital beds complicating coronavirus fight. New York has lost a staggering 20,000 hospital beds over the last two decades to budget cuts and insurance overhauls. Unbelievable. The Empire State had 73,931 licensed hospital beds in 2000. In 2020, 53,000. Wow. What great, magnificent leadership. Presidential material leader. I'll be right back. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Making sure the land of the free and the home of the brave stays that way. Dial Mark Levin now at 877-381-3811. You know, it's easy to support the Constitution 
in some inkling of fiscal responsibility uh, when there aren't a cri- when there aren't crises taking place. It's like free speech; everyone has it until it's threatened. The great heroes in history are not the people who went along; the people who raised their voices. And I don't mean to sabotage. My goal is not to sabotage. My goal is to provide a different perspective and to try to provide some influence on what's going on in this country. There's no need to embrace socialism and there's no need to bankrupt future generations. There's no need to empower the central government beyond this crisis, beyond this presidency. And no, we, the American taxpayer... All of us should not be bailing out states. We can give them some assistance with a crisis, but it's not our jobs to bail them out. Federal government should not be in the business of being in business, and it should not have equity positions in any private company. These private companies that are suffering right now are not suffering because they were poorly run or that they were asking for government money at the outset. It's because of this virus, and you have state governors that have shut them down. And so they are owed some kind of recompense. They talk about subsidies and so forth. These are damages. That's what these payments are. And we're stepping in, providing loans and subsidies uh, at a federal level for what states are doing. We're coming in now, providing monies to states for what states fail to do. Now, either you believe in federalism or you don't. Now, You can take that to a point. These are American citizens. This is a virus that doesn't know state boundaries. And that's why we're stepping in as a nation. That's when the federal government steps in. I got it. I support it. But I don't support all the rest of this. And at this point, I do agree strongly with the president. It is time to get more focused on the populations that are at greatest threat and the areas that are under the greatest threat. We don't need a broad brush. You run out of resources. Although in Washington, D.C., there's no such thing as running out of resources. There isn't. There hasn't been one television show that I'm aware of. I don't watch them all, except mine. One radio show that I'm aware of nationally, at least, except mine. But that may not be true either, because I can't hear them all. Where the question is, where is all this money coming from? Are we all socialists now? The Media Research Center has been leading the war against dishonest news for over 30 years because the American people deserve the truth. That's why the work of the MRC and their video team at MRC TV is so important. They expose the media's lies and make sure you see the videos the liberal media don't want you to see. Learn more about the MRC at mrclevin.org. That's mrclevin.org. MRC produces original commentary and videos of the news, people and events that we conservatives care about. One of the recent videos exposed the media's dishonesty on the Wuhan China coronavirus, although I don't believe none of us are allowed to talk about it that way anymore, because Xi is our friend. They put together clips of the media calling it the Chinese Wuhan virus, which they now say is racist. No one's faster to expose media hypocrisy and living color than MRC-TV. And MRC-TV and the rest of the MRC team exist to expose the media's dishonesty and make sure the American people get the truth. That's why we call them America's media watchdog. 
They're only one of a handful of conservative organizations that have a real impact every day in the fight to save our country. Go to mrclevin.org and learn more. mrclevin.org, mrclevin.org. I've been doing this for almost 20 years. And you know why I have such a massive audience? You know why you're there on AM and FM radio, on my podcast, on satellite radio, on the Mark Levin app, on iHeartRadio app, tens of millions every week? Do you know why? Because you expect me to tell you what I believe the truth to be. Because you know I'm earnest about this. You know I'm studious in my preparation for this program. Am I a partisan? You damn well bet I am. I am a partisan for the civil society, for individual liberty, for our declaration and constitution, for our founding principles. And I have great fear about what's taking place. I don't disagree with everything that's taking place, but I am very concerned about this spending. We've got to get America working again. You know what? Give me this budget, and I'll go through it, and I'll tell you what in the budget has nothing to do with getting America working again. How about that? Because I'm tired of hearing that platitude. You get America working again by opening America. The president's right. Not giving four months 100% of your salary. Who the hell wants to get a job then unless somebody who's really studious? That's in the bill. That's why it's the people who are, who are keeping the supply lines open, the assembly lines working, who are protecting us. Whether in health care, whether in law enforcement, whether on the border. It's the truckers and the, and the others. FedEx, UPS, Amazon. There's not a single member of Congress who has suffered financially from this. Not one. There's not a single federal... Well, I don't want all your calls from you bureaucrats. Not a single federal employee who's lost salary as a result of this. It's amazing. How come the bill didn't say 10% cut across the board? No, instead, all the bureaucracy is growing. But you know, Mark, that's the pork you have to pay to get what you want. If we want to change that, win the House. Really? Does anybody remember when we had the Republican House? Do you remember that, Mr. Producer? We had the House and the Senate and the presidency, and what did they do? One of the most massive budgets in American history. I I don't want to hear this anymore. I, I really don't. We're going to have to accept the fact, we can keep fighting it, that the Republican Party is a soft socialist party and the Democrat Party is an aggressively socialist party. I want you to hear from a lady, Rita Panahi, if I mispronounced it, I apologize, Sky News in Australia, about China's culpability because Mr. Xi Jinping is not my friend and let me tell you, he's not your friend either. And all you people suffering who are unemployed, who are sick, families who have deaths as a result of this virus, he's not your friend either. To attack Tom Massey, as the Washington establishment did today, and the media too. Oh, they were excited. They were frothing at the mouth 
And then Xi gets a pay. Well, Xi's our friend. It's really appalling. I want you to listen to this. This is outstanding. Cut one, go. I want to talk about China's culpability and conduct throughout the coronavirus crisis that began in a Wuhan wet market. The Chinese communist regime not only lied, destroyed evidence and allowed the virus to spread, but it arrested doctors who back in December tried to warn the world about what was happening in Wuhan. Some of the whistleblowers arrested and accused of fabricating, disseminating and spreading rumours have since died. Other domestic critics, from a property tycoon to video bloggers, have vanished. China is not a regime that tolerates dissent. China's initial cover-up included destroying lab samples that established in December the cause of unexplained viral infections in the Hubei province. How many lives would have been saved if China had listened to experts instead of silencing them? A study by the University of Southampton suggests China could have prevented 95% of infections if it had implemented tough measures just three weeks earlier. But the regime only took decisive action to contain the virus around four weeks after arresting doctors and other whistleblowers. What's just as shocking is the World Health Organization's complicity in this global pandemic. From the start, the WHO has uncritically praised China's response and pushed its preferred narratives while ignoring the regime's dishonesty and recklessness. In mid-January, the World Health Organization told the world that Preliminary investigations conducted by the Chinese authorities have found no clear evidence of human-to-human transmissions. It refused to declare a pandemic until March 11, and as late as February, it was parroting China in criticising travel restrictions. Don't forget that when Scott Morrison and Donald Trump implemented travel bans against China in late January, they did so against who advice. In fact, the WHO chief said travel bans would unnecessarily interfere with international travel and trade and could have the effect of increasing fear and stigma with little public health benefit. We now know just how wrong he was, with immunologists and other medical experts saying the decision to close borders was crucial in slowing the spread of the disease. How many other countries would have closed their borders if the WHO had encouraged bans instead of condemning them? How many more would be spared loss and suffering if the WHO did its job and investigated what Taiwan authorities and whistleblower doctors working at the coalface were saying instead of lecturing the world about not referring to the Chinese origins of the disease? The origins of the disease are important. And if we want to stop the next pandemic, we must hold China's feet to the fire and ensure they take meaningful measures to mitigate the risks of another global catastrophe. COVID-19 or Wuhan coronavirus is not the first pandemic to originate from a Chinese wet market. SARS and bird flu also originated from wet markets where livestock, sea life and wild exotic animals are kept in and killed in horrific conditions. Uh, We know just how hideously cruel and destructive these markets are, but they're also dangerous in spreading disease. 
China pledged to crack down on illegal wildlife markets after the SARS epidemic of 2002 to 2004, but it has soon relaxed enforcement of those laws. The Chinese communist regime has, through its ineptitude, dishonesty and negligence, unleashed a virus that will leave tens of thousands dead and likely cause a global recession. We must not allow this totalitarian regime to rewrite history. China spends billions, yes, billions on its foreign propaganda efforts. And sadly, it now has much of the US media regurgitating its narratives free of charge. Let's get one thing straight. You would have to be a certifiable moron to see criticism of the Chinese government or acknowledgement of the origins of this virus as racist. The Australian media gets it, at least she does, Sky News. Enormously articulate. But now China's giving us data, we're told. Let our scientists look at it. So, all is forgiven. He's our friend. But Tom Massey, we got to get that guy. Oh, my God. He wanted a roll call vote on the floor of the House. He just wouldn't go along. He wasn't trying to delay it. He wanted a vote, exactly what the Constitution compels. So you, the American people, know who's voting for what. It's called representative government. He needs to go. Xi is our friend. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. Here's what I'd like to see. Maybe they can put a chart on these uh, TV shows on the screen day in and day out, 24-7. How many people have lost their jobs in the private sector, and how many people have actually lost their jobs in the public sector? Wouldn't that be good, Mr. Producer? I'd love to see that. You see, what they won't report is, really, it's one part of our society that is suffering economically. The private sector. I'm not saying the public sector isn't doing things, but there are parts of the public sector who are at home and getting paid, and they know who they are. And there's some in the public sector, cops, firefighters, doctors, who are breaking their asses. I'm not talking about that. Everyone knows what I'm talking about. It's shocking that your home can be stolen this easily. Deborah learned the brutal lesson when thieves found the title to her home online. Then they forged the document to appear she sold her home, but she didn't. Then they borrowed thousands using her home's equity. Deborah didn't know she was a victim until foreclosure notices arrived and an eviction notice. So she loses her home and she has to pay the debt. She spent a fortune trying to get her home back. The crime is home title fraud. The FBI calls it one of the fastest growing crimes. My advice for avoiding a possible nightmare is to follow my lead and protect your home with home title lock. And no, neither your homeowner's insurance nor bank protects you. For pennies a day, home title lock will. First things first, find out if you're already a victim of home title fraud. You may not know it. It's a very, very sort of secretive process that that the people do behind your back. Register your home at hometitlelock.com. Make sure you enter my name, Mark, 
and you'll get one month of free protection. Again, enter Mark for one month of free protection. HomeTitleLock.com, HomeTitleLock.com, enter Mark for protection. Martha, El Paso, Texas, the great KTSM. Go. Martha. Mark, Mark hi. Hi. Uh, I just want to thank Congressman Massey for standing up today. Also, I want to thank you and for supporting him. And, Mark, if you could continue to encourage Americans to stand up just like this young man did, because I'm not concerned about our country. I'm afraid for our country. So, Mark, please, please continue encouraging Americans to, to just just do something, not just to sit back and, and just let things happen. I appreciate your call very much. There's an awful lot of power being exercised by an awful lot of people in government right now. And we, the citizenry, have to determine what power is being exercised prudently and constitutionally and what power is not. We must. We must. I don't like any government official trashing major corporate institutions in this country that have employed blue-collar men and women, union and non-union, for a hundred years. Paid them good salaries, good pensions, good medical care, telling them what assembly line should be open, what assembly line shouldn't be open. Telling them if they don't bow to big brother government and produce what they say to produce at the cost they say produce, they'll simply nationalize that assembly line for a period of time. I don't like it one bit. The federal government shouldn't own a percentage of any private company. None. The airlines aren't in this position because they're poorly run. They're very vulnerable. They have a very fragile business environment. And so when one state after another, one country after another, shuts down because of this virus, who's going to pay the damages? That's the way I view it. And so now they have to give up percentage of ownership of the company? You know, this president's not going to be president forever. Who the hell's going to run these airlines? I thought we were against socialism, but apparently we're all socialists now. I'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, this final hour of the podcast is sponsored exclusively by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we care about, faith, family, and freedom. Thank you for listening, and please support AMAC. And you can become a member at amac.us slash join. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. You know what? We're going to go to some callers and see what you think. 
Got all kinds of stuff here, as usual, in my pile that I've prepared. I've said a lot tonight. I have my papers. I'm essential. I can travel the country unmolested. I don't think most of you can. I've got my official government document here. I'm going to frame this, by the way, when this is all said and done as a reminder from the Department of Homeland Security. Maybe they'll yank it now, Mr. Producer. You never know. All right. Mary, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the great WPHT home of my buddy, Richie Z. Go right ahead. Mary, you're on. Hi. Hi, Mark. How are you? Um, Good. I just want to say I am so grateful for you. You are a voice of sanity in this, like, bizarre situation that we're living in. We are so blessed to have you. Well, you're very kind. Who knows how much longer you'll have me? You never know. Oh, geez, don't say that. Then we're in real, we're in really big trouble. Um, the reason I'm calling is um, I am a Trump supporter, mm-hmm. and I was really convinced the other day with all the nonsense that Pelosi was pulling and all the, the garbage that's going on in the midst of all this. I, I still believe today, though, that I, I believe they've ensured the reelection of Donald Trump in November. But aside from that, the thing about this is I'm scratching my head. I was really – I'm very disturbed right now that he actually did go ahead and sign this because, you know, the thing that's frightening about this, we know what the ramifications are. This is going to be at least the people that are really paying attention. And we've had health experts say this could be seasonal. This could be a cyclical thing. There's other viruses that could show up again in the future. Are we going to be throwing $6 trillion at something here's, every time? Here's the problem, Mary. We have the press in this country that is uh, absolutely out of control. Uh, it unfortunately, it takes people like me referring to experts in the Wall Street Journal and some of these other press outlets, but for the most part, especially television press, that is just ramping up their ratings, and it is very unfortunate. You're not really getting as many facts as you should. Uh, these experts, so-called, they don't have one viewpoint. They have multiple viewpoints, and they've had multiple viewpoints on how to handle this. But you don't hear it. What you're getting is numbers. We have 100,000 people with the virus, 1,200 who've died, and these numbers are going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. What they don't tell you is 99% of the people with the virus are unaffected. They're literally unaffected. I mean, maybe they'll have a flu-like symptom. So, um, I mean, there's no context whatsoever. Uh, It's concentrated, and some of these hospitals and areas are being overwhelmed. They were poorly planned, these mayors and these governors who are out redistributing wealth, funding all kinds of stuff. Many of them were warned. I've talked to you about it, particularly Cuomo, particularly New York City. They blew it off. I have a piece here from March uh, March 16th. In the New York Post, that they went from 2000 to 2020, 20,000 less beds because the state chose not to fund them. Now, I know this doesn't fix anything right now, but people need to understand why we're here. It's not just the virus. It's stupid decisions by a lot of people, too. And what I'm trying to discuss here is we, you're getting more and more data, and the more and more tests there's going to be, the more and more people are going to be evident that had the virus or have the virus. But it also tells us something else that the the predictions of the quote-unquote experts about the death rate were so wildly off and speculative that the death rate from this, and I hate to say it because I'm attacked, is actually quite low. 
It's too much for everybody, particularly if it's one of your family. I got that. I understand it. I just lost two parents last year, four months apart from cancer. I understand the heartache. I'm trying to talk about this virus. And you make a brilliant point, Mary. If this is seasonal, what are we going to do? Spend four, five, six trillion dollars on top of a four and a half trillion dollar budget every year? They're talking about another, uh, an, another bill. The president even mentioned it today where we're going to subsidize and bail out states. We just gave them hundreds of billions of dollars. And if it's, we should, ne- it, it's never going to be enough. We're going to shut down everything every time it happens. I mean, at some point, there's going to be no businesses left to open. Well, the theory is, and part of it is reality, once enough people get this virus, uh, they're immune from it. And that's not necessarily true either, because some of these viruses mutate. Now, what they're finding right now, and again, I'm only reading what I, what, what I, what, what's printed out there, is this one's not mutating very much. Well, let's hope that's the case. But if it mutates and mutates, then, you know, it's like a different virus. Anyway, Mary, I want to thank you for your wonderful call, my brothers and sisters in Philadelphia. City of brotherly love, where I was raised. And I used to go down to Independence Hall as a kid many, many times a year with my buddy Eric. And that's why this is ingrained with me so much. Uh, the other thing I don't like about the media now, they cherry-pick the doctors who they're talking to. You know, there's four... There's a zillion doctors handling this stuff. Uh, anyway, maybe I'm uh, overloading too much today on everybody. You don't know. All right, let's continue. Bill, Arlington, Texas, the great WPAP. Go. WBAP, I apologize. Go. Thank you, Mark. I really appreciate it. Uh, boy, I, I, Thomas Massey is one of the good guys. That guy's got a very high score on conservative review. And, uh, and he's been great while he's been there. Yet now you see people on the right attacking him. And I, I just, uh, I, uh, we've lost our minds out there. I think it's time for a new Tea Party. We, we should you know, be- can, I, can I tell you a little secret? I've been getting an enormous number of communications saying it's time for a new Tea Party. I think... Once this is said and done, at least this round of it, I think Washington may have, in fact, and I don't know this for a fact, but as you know, I was involved in the the initial stages of the last Tea Party. This might, because I hear the rumblings, you're not the only one, Bill, this might at some point uh, create such a movement because people are not stupid. And they're looking at their kids and they're looking at their grandkids and they're saying, yes, do what you need to fight this virus. Uh, but, uh, you know, the Kennedy Center and the, and the hundreds of billions of dollars that's gone out the door, that has nothing to do with this. Could you imagine? You know, this bill wasn't written by Congress. This bill was written by a relative small number of people in the Senate on the Democrat and Republican side. Enormous number of lobbyists contacting them to protect this or that or the other thing. Pretty much everybody got what they want. But those who didn't get what they want, there's going to be another round. And we're sitting here looking at this. We don't want politics as usual. It's funny. We are lectured. This is an exceptional time. We have to do these things. You have to do what things? What's all this pork barrel crap doing in this bill? Anyway, go ahead, Bill. Uh, I, uh, listen, I, I'm part of the Convention of States. Of course, we, we here in Texas have passed our application. We're moving forward, but I'm telling you, uh, constitutional amendments to 
to uh, require single subject bills and require roll call votes when we're appropriating money need to come out. Uh, why why was much- Thomas Massey attacked so violently, viciously? I'll tell you why. Because the House didn't want their members on the record. That's right. And Nancy Pelosi sent them all home. Why did she send them all home when she knew the Senate was working on another bill? Yep. And then they, and and what Massey did, and again, I don't even know the guy. What Massey did is he blew their cover. He basically said, I want a roll call vote. Oh my God, he wants a delay. This guy, he doesn't care about the people. He doesn't care about the little guy. He doesn't care about businesses. He doesn't care about this. He doesn't. Excuse me. We, the people, have a right to a roll call vote. We have the right to a roll call vote so we can hold our representatives accountable. They say 96 to 0 in the Senate. Okay. They'll be held to account or not. What was the vote in the uh, House, sir? Do you know? We don't know. We have no idea. They took the A's and they took the nays. Go ahead. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I want to echo what Mary had to say. I, um, Mary from Philadelphia. I, yeah, she she had she had great comments there. I'm so disappointed in President Trump. For just, we are all uh, Trump supporters, but what's troubling me is is the advice he's getting. This is just my opinion. Seems to be one way. The uh, the uh, the entrenched you know politicians are pushing one way. But but what's bothering me now is the treatment of great American companies. The government's now going to own. Equity, which means a percentage of a company. What do you think about that, Bill? Uh, uh, it's absurd. It, uh, it, this this should not be allowed. We need, we need a constitutional amendment to prevent it. What 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 about uh, this? Peter Navarro was very excited today. I guess he's advising the president. But the buck stops where it stopped. Where uh, GM has now been ordered to produce ventilators because the government says because they're. They're now said to be unpatriotic. They want a top dollar, and they're only going to produce 6000 You and I don't know that to be true. We right. only heard one side of this. Maybe right. GM has a problem. Maybe GM can't get the parts. Maybe it's enormously expensive. Maybe, maybe, maybe. We wouldn't even be in this position if Mr. Cuomo had done his job and these other government agencies, uh, governors had done their job, or if the federal government had more of these ventilators. We wouldn't even be in this position. Right. This is very dangerous, Mark. Very dangerous. We're, 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 we're really headed in the wrong direction. Look, I'm a big Trump supporter. I'm going to vote for him. I'm going to we all are. Ticket. But I'm worried. I'm worried about something. When Republicans do these sorts of things, you have a slice of the electorate that's strongly conservative that will just in disgust turn away and not vote. This is November. my worry, too. They'll just stay home. Yeah, they'll stay home. And we've seen it happen over and over and over again. It happened. It happened to McCain. It happened to to Romney, uh, and and we lost elections because of it. When when we all turn out, we win. But but uh, this kind of behavior uh, causes a lot of people to have second thoughts. And and the and the other the other thing is this: just because you disagree with a guy like Massey, you have to tr- you have to destroy him. No, that's absurd. Just that's because absurd. just because GM won't do what you want it to do, are they unpatriotic? No, they're not. <laughs> and tell me, when, a, when the government takes a percentage of a company, I don't care what the rationale is, isn't that socialism? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I don't think Washington understands that there's millions and millions of you out here who are not happy with this. 
Bernie Sanders is over there applauding. You notice Bernie Sanders hasn't objected to any one of these specific things? Absolutely. He doesn't think they went far enough, but he's not complaining at all. Absolutely. And Biden, who can't speak anyway, there's really no room for Biden to speak. What's he going to say? Exactly. (laughs) He has nothing to say. It used to be said, Bill, you know, I used to have people come up and say, you know, Mark, I'm not a social conservative. I'm not a hawk, but I'm a fiscal conservative. Can anybody on Capitol Hill say that today? I don't think so. All right, Bill. Thanks for your call. Let's go to David, Sherman, Texas, the great WBAP. Go. You're on, David. Go right ahead, sir. Okay. Go for it. Hey, Mark. Yes, sir. Speak to me. Oh, yes. I didn't know I was on. Uh, I'm going to have to say it, Mark. Uh, These so-called conservatives, uh, these politicians, they are hypocrites. I tell you what, I am sick and tired of them putting down people who live on Social Security And here they are, now they've voted everyone to live on the government dole. And this bill is disgraceful. By the the way, let me slow you down because you said something very important here. It used to be an extremely radical position that the government was the employer of last resort. Isn't that what just happened? Yeah. They put everybody on the government payroll. Pretty much, right? Yeah. And, you know, $25 billion to the airlines, which is non-essential, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. And, and $1,200 for a, a person, okay, I don't want it. I don't need it. I live but you know what's interesting about this? That is a very small percentage of this bill. They keep bringing it up. Every family, a family of four, a husband or whatever, you're going to get uh, $3,000 or, you know, that sort of it turns out that that's a, that's a relatively small part of the bill. And, you know, President Trump signed it because he thinks it's going to get him reelected. That's the only – he's not a – Well, I think he, he thinks it's the right thing, don't you? I think he's motivated by good intentions. I think he's motivated by politics. Did you vote for him? I will vote for him. No, but you I, will and you did, right? Yes. I don't know if I'll vote for him this time because he has turned into – a non-conservative person. But he, 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 what they'll tell you is he never was a conservative. Here's my concern. I am voting for him. And I admire him greatly. And this has been a horrific pandemic, and I think he's handled it beautifully up to this point. Because now the swamp has in many ways taken over. It's taken over the federal budget. And now this instinct to, to control corporations, a percentage of a corporation, this company's not patriotic and so forth. General Motors is a very, very patriotic company. It's built many of our military, much of our military equipment over the 100 years, including during World War II. It's employed over the years millions of people. It has, it has paid wonderful salaries, given Americans. It is a very patriotic company. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest-growing organizations in America, now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. 
More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. Let me, let me try this again for the media and the liberals and for Access Radio, whatever the hell But for you, millions and millions of Levinites, here's what the data show us right now, the accurate data. Over 99% of the people who get this virus will not only survive, they'll be fine, many of whom won't even know it. There are population concentrations which are more at risk, the elderly and people with underlying, certain types of underlying uh, illnesses that affect a weak immune system, as an example. That's number one. Number two, when you keep saying on TV, the number of people with the virus is confirmed, is growing, growing, and growing. Ladies and gentlemen, there are millions and millions of Americans who have this virus. The tests are telling us what a confirmed uh, uh, case is. So the more people tested, the more there's going to be. Theoretically, we don't know if this is growing or if it's already reached a peak. We have no idea. But millions and millions of Americans are going to get this virus. And over 99% of them are going to be absolutely fine. Some of them will get sicker than others and then come through it. Some of them won't even know they have it. These certain groups, in particular, are the groups we need to focus on and take care of. I want you to understand this. Because you're not hearing that. Isn't that the bottom line, Mr. Producer? I'm not talking about the lack of resources. We talk about that endlessly. I'm talking about the facts for you at home. When we come back, there's a question or a suggestion by Matthew Continetti over there at the Washington Free Beacon, Corona conservatism. Essentially saying conservatism has changed and it has changed forever. It's transition. Is that true? I'll give you my opinion. We'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. 
And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. The voice of sanity in an insane world. The Mark Levin Show. Call him now at 877-381-3811. You know, in the earlier days of this program, really not that long ago, they used to call me the thunder on the right. And I'm starting to hear some of this thunder on the right. Really over the last week, with the spending and the attacks on the private sector, I'm starting to hear the thunder on the right. And this is two days in a row where it's been constant where people have talked about a new Tea Party, where people have talked about being disappointed openly. I haven't heard this in a long time. In a long time. I forgot to tell you, we have a tremendous Life, Liberty, and Levin coming up this Sunday. 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Two guests. First, Newt Gingrich for a half hour. Then economist Stephen Moore for a half hour. Brilliant insight from two brilliant men. Please don't miss it. You know, you're going to be hearing about this stuff all weekend long. Come to my show where you'll get rational, insightful, substantive discussion, not hype. That's 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on Fox, Life, Liberty, and Levin. It's the only show of its kind, really, on TV. Here's the piece at Free Beacon. By Continetti. Not long ago, as the severity of the coronavirus pandemic became clear, journalists were quick to say that the crisis marked the end of an era. The Trump presidency is over, declared a headline in The Atlantic. One article in Politico said the pandemic is the end of Trumpism. A New York Times op-ed column carried the headline, the era of small government is over. Well, yes, at least so far as that last article is concerned, the era of small government has been over for decades, if it ever happened at all. The high point of Republican and conservative efforts to limit the size and scope of the federal Leviathan was either Ronald Reagan's 1982 budget or the Clinton-Gingrich welfare reform of 1996. Then the GOP abandoned its plans for minimal government. Even the Tea Party insurgency, he writes, which began as a rebellion against standard patterns in the Republican establishment, protested cuts to Medicare and achieved little more than a sequester that severely damaged military readiness. Now that's BS. But I'll deal with that another day. And of course, the current Republican president was elected on a pledge not to touch senior health care and retirement benefits. He didn't run as a conservative. No small government conservative he. What the moment requires is some intellectual modesty. It's far too early in the development of this national emergency to make definitive judgments on its political, economic, social, and cultural effects. We might as well explore alternative scenarios. For example, the coronavirus might not signify a conclusion to or a beginning of a historical era so much as an acceleration of previously uh, germinating inclinations. This quickening is most visible in the United States Senate. It was the youthful and heterodox members of the Republican Conference 
who first recognized the severity of the challenges emanating from the Wuhan China from Wuhan China as Congress put together its economic relief bill these lawmakers did not worry about violating free market dogma they recognized the extraordinary nature of the situation their primary concern was the fate of the unemployed well really well the vast majority of this bill has nothing to do with the unemployed anyway insofar as trumpism the uh, to the degree that it exists describes a political tendency that is suspicious of overseas commitments, international trade, and unchecked immigration, and more worried about the rise of China uh, than the uh, revanchism of, uh, of Russia. This pandemic does not spell the end. It may even serve as vindication. Really? I thought Xi was our buddy. The Republican senators most widely seen as preparing to run for president in 2024 have used the past few weeks to articulate a conservatism that is more heavily weighted towards security than freedom. Tom Cotton has a bill co-sponsored by Mike Gallagher in the House to end U.S. dependence on Chinese manufacturer pharmaceuticals. Josh Howley introduced an Emergency Family Relief Act, much more ambitious than, for now, one-time payments included in the economic triage bill. You know, I'm impressed with this Howley some days and other days uh, not, just to be honest. Marco Rubio designed the small business lending component that is essential to the CARES Act. They all criticized the Chinese government for lying about the coronavirus as it spread throughout the world. On Capitol Hill, then, the virus has elevated the senators and staffers who've spent the last few years calling for a realignment of Republican politics, away from the prerogatives and priorities of corporate America and toward those of middle and working class families without college degrees. Actually, Reagan started that. That's why he won over blue-collar Americans so many more. And, and they're not mutually exclusive either. Again, that for another day. The China hawks, economic nationalists, and advocates of industrial policy have found themselves playing the role of Cassandra, who saw the cost of war firsthand after her warnings were dismissed. And it goes on. It's a smart piece. This fellow's a smart guy, and he writes very well. But I'll tell you when all this will change. I even heard somebody on TV or somebody on radio, whatever it was, who was, we got to spend big and go big. But I have a little concern, possible inflation. This is the only show that's been talking about inflation. And I'm going to talk about it Sunday also with Steve Moore. What they've done with this $2.2 trillion and before that $350 billion and before that $80-some billion, and if they do it again, and what they've done with a trillion-dollar deficit each year under Republicans and Democrats in Congress in this administration is they have baked in inflation. It's just a matter of time. And some of them are proud of it. They're proud that the Federal Reserve is going to have another $4 trillion to put out there. Some of them are proud this is really a $6 trillion quote-unquote stimulus. Do you know how selfish and piggish this is for future generations? You know what inflation does? Those health care dollars become less. The cost of ventilators go up. The cost of beds go up. That's what inflation does. It drives up the cost of food. It drives up the cost of everything. Because there's so many dollars chasing fewer and fewer services and products. They can't keep up. And so when you pump $2.2 trillion, in a $4.5 trillion budget, $6.7 trillion in one year into the economy. When you've been running trillion-dollar deficits each year. Oh, we'll get to that later. And now we're talking about bailing out the states. What the hell do you think is going to happen to the states when we have inflation? And their budgets go to hell. And these hospitals and go to hell. And GM and Ford, these magnificent patriotic companies. What's going to happen to them? And moreover, 
What's going to happen to your Social Security? What's going to happen to the cost of Medicare? And your little pension that you're trying to earn and retire on. What do you think is going to happen when there's 10, 11, 12% interest rates? And when your money is worth less. Inflation is an attack on the currency. It is a cancer on the economy. And it's very, very difficult to get it under control. And if you think healthcare costs are expensive now, and beds and ventilators and everything else, that you need to nationalize aspects of GM, you wait. We can't be sure when it's going to happen. Nobody can. But you cannot have 10 years of quantitative easing, now the biggest spending bills in American and world history, and not have consequences. We saw that. After the Great Society, when they spend a fortune on Vietnam and a fortune on the welfare state. And by the way, the spending back then compared to the spending now, the spending back then looks like they were pipers. We've made an announcement, apparently. It's now the official policy of the United States government that they are the employer of the last resort. Indirectly, but it's true. You lose a job as a result of this, you're going to get paid. You're going to get paid. As a matter of fact, some people are going to get paid even more than they're paid now. You're going to get paid. And it goes on and on. Government's going to take a percentage of the airlines. But we're not socialists. And I guess what bothers me is almost the gleefulness like the attack on GM today. It's the gleefulness. And Ford, you're next. Ford, you better not, you better not step out of line. We'll do the same thing to you. I ask you blue-collar workers who work for Ford and GM and Chrysler and these other companies, you happy about this? Are you happy about this? Do you want the federal government in charge of your company? Gee, I wonder what could go wrong. Do you know how complicated and difficult it is, ladies and gentlemen, to retool from making pickup trucks to making ventilators? Do you know how expensive it is? In this press release stuff that we saw today, in this announcement today, we have no idea what they're talking about. You and I, we're just pawns in this whole thing. What exactly were the negotiations about? What exactly did GM want? What exactly did they want in terms of pay? If you want 20, 30, 40,000 ventilators, why did they say 6,000? Do they not have parts? I would like to know before joining in on the mob. I want to know what took place. What happened? And why are we threatening Ford now? These are companies that volunteered to help. I'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. 
More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. Anyway, time is short. What I meant to say on that article, none of what these men promotes is going to matter at some point in the future. I call these people legislating conservatives. They think they can legislate conservatism. In some ways you can, but in many ways it's antithetical to conservatism. Conservatism is not a governing philosophy. Conservatism is a life philosophy and it influences the type of government you support. Think about it. And so when and if inflation hammers the country, nobody's going to be thinking about Josh Hawley's statute or Marco Rubio's views or whether we're corporate conservatives or everyday conservatives or what we are, if these men don't more forcefully stand up against the bloat, the centralization of government vis-a-vis the individual, um, then it's an odd kind of conservatism indeed. And they'll say, well, of course we do. Well, I'm listening, and I'm not hearing a hell of a lot, to be perfectly honest with you. i, I got to rush this. I apologize. I didn't have time to give this the, the kind of merit it deserves or discussion it deserves, but these are all interesting senators with interesting point of views. But basically, if uh, uh, the idea of the free market and the idea of a limited government are not ideas in a vacuum, Uh, These will ultimately be the ideas that one day will be reintroduced and Americans will actually want. Once the the effects of a massive centralized government has its impact. But here I am, ladies and gentlemen. I have my government letter and my government ID. I've got them both. I am essential. And if I'm stopped, I get to continue to drive. Isn't that swell? All right, every Friday in honor of you. Here it goes.
the week is officially over. The weekend begins now. Don't forget Sunday, a special 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, Life, Liberty, and Levin with me, Newt Gingrich, and Steve Moore. Very important show. See you there. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, emergency personnel, all you folks that are making this country work and trying to protect us. God bless you all. Good night, Spritey. Good night, Griffey. Good night, Pepsi. Good night, Smokey. Good night, Zelda. Good night, Gigi. Good night, Dad. Good night, Mom. And good night, Leo. Be strong, America. From the Westwood One Podcast Network.